So good morning again, for those of you who might just be tuning in. Um, I'm Fu Schrader. I'm the abbess at Green Gulch Farm Zen Center in Marin County, California. And as I mentioned, uh, we are in the middle or toward the end actually of what's been a wonderful three-week intensive with Gil Fransdale, myself and Paul Haller, also from the Zen Center. <clears throat> so we've been offering the, these perspectives uh, from our two traditions, Vipassana and Zen, on many things, you know, what the difference, what's the same about our meditation, about our wisdom teachings, and also about right conduct, which is what we're focusing on this week. So I've been discussing in this morning session, the 16 Bodhisattva precepts. Yesterday, I talked about the practice of confession and repentance, which is preliminary to receiving the precepts, you know, acknowledging, oh yeah, I did that, I did that. And I, I really don't want to do that anymore. You know, really knowing within our own hearts what things we've done that we would really like to change, you know, and how to do that. So precepts are one of the kind of guidance systems for making changes that we'd like to make in our lives. <clears throat> so the first of the three bodhisattva precepts are called the refuges, the three refuges. And it, the refuges are taken in what's called the triple treasure, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha community. So I want to begin with a koan from the Book of Serenity, which is a collection of teaching stories that started to be gathered together right about the time that Zen arrived in China over 1300 years ago. And this one is called, The World Honored One Points to the Ground. <clears throat> the World Honored One is the Buddha. As soon as a single mote of dust arises, the whole earth is contained therein. With a single horse and a single lance, the land is extended. Who is this person who can be master in any place and meet the source in everything? So here's the story. As the world honored one, the Buddha, was walking with a congregation, he pointed to the ground with his finger and said, this spot is good to build a sanctuary. Indra, the emperor of the gods, took a blade of grass, stuck it in the ground and said, the sanctuary is built. The world honored one smiled. So for me, it's the Buddha's smile that has carried this ancient tradition from its home in faraway India over those thousands of miles and hundreds of centuries in order to shine brightly on us here. You know, today, taking refuge, building sanctuaries in the warmth of that smile is the beginning of a well-marked path to our own well-being and happiness and for the benefit of this terribly suffering world. I take refuge in Buddha as the perfect teacher. I take refuge in Dharma as the perfect teaching. I take refuge in Sangha as the perfect life. So these are very powerful words that we chant just about every morning, excuse me, <clears throat> at the Zen Center. And although each of us may have this unique feeling about what these words mean, I think it's useful for us to look at words carefully and wonder about what they, how they hit us deeply inside and what role they play in our own understanding of Buddhist practice in our near perfect lives. So long, long ago, when the Buddha, the perfect teacher, had set in motion the wheel of the law, there was a moment in time where, or so I can imagine, there was kind of near perfect stillness. You know, like when someone shouts into a canyon and then 
waits for that familiar voice to echo in reply. Hello? So in the case of the Buddha, the response came from Kondana, meaning the one who knows, declaring his understanding and requesting the full admission as the Buddha's first disciple. Hello? Kondana says, I'm here. I hear you, Lord Buddha. And then he says to the Buddha, I wish to go forth under the blessed one and to receive the full admission. The Buddha replies, come bhikshu. Your understanding of the Dharma is well proclaimed. Live the holy life for the complete end of suffering. And with that request, the triple treasure was manifest in this world. We have the Buddha and the Dharma, the teaching, and now there's a Sangha, you know, giver, the receiver, and the gift. So at that moment, as it says in the Pali Canon, at that instant, the news traveled right up to the Brahma world. And this 10,000-fold world element shook and quaked and trembled, while a great measureless light, surpassing the splendor of the gods, appeared in the world. So this request by Kondana to take refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma was in the form of a call and response, you know, like the echo in the valley. This is a very familiar form of dialogue that we practice both in the Zen and the Vipassana traditions right to this very day. And it's called by a number of names. We call it sometimes question and answer uh, or practice discussion or doksan. Doksan means a private consultation with a teacher. So with the Buddha and his teachings, without them, without these teachings and without these people who came to study with him, there wouldn't be any Buddhism for us right now. There'd be no refuge, no blade of grass with which to build a sanctuary. So taking refuge in the triple treasure, as Suzuki Roshi said, I mentioned this the other day, by taking refuge, you adore the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha. And that for you, taking refuge is an act of adoration. So before declaring your adoration for the triple treasure, if you haven't already, it might be good to consider what each of these three treasures means to you. You know, first there's the Buddha, a word that means awake. When the Buddha was approached by a wanderer on the road shortly after his enlightenment, the wanderer said, are you a God? The Buddha said, no. Are you a water spirit? The Buddha said, no. Are you a demon? No. Are you a human being? The Buddha said, no. And then the wanderer said, well, dear sir, what might you be? And Buddha said, I am awake. So lots of things that can be said about the Buddha. In fact, we use this word all the time. We bow to images of the Buddha. We offer fragrance and sweet tea and flowers and food. We dress like him. We endeavor to act like him. And we spend a lot of time listening to the words of the Buddha and of his descendants. All of which sound like adoration you know, at least the form of it. So one understanding that we in the Zen school have about what it means to take refuge in Buddha is to take refuge in who we really are, you know, and that who we really are is already Buddha, is already this quality, awake. So the word refuge literally means to fly back, to fly, fly back. In other words, we fly back to our true self, our whole self, our limitless, 
ungraspable and inconceivable existence. So therefore, it's not something that we can change. We can't produce it, we can't destroy it, and we can't bring it about by any kind of effort. There's nothing to add and there's nothing to be taken away. And as frustrating as that might be, it's something that no doubt we've all noticed about reality. It always wins. So the shortest term for that reality of who we really are in Zen, we say the word thus. Thus, the Buddha is called the thus come one, just like the body, always in the present. Or as Zen master Dongshan said, as he crossed a river and saw the reflection of his own face in the water, this is the moment of his awakening. And he said, just this person. He was quite surprised. Just this person. And as the Buddha said, showed by a, to the assembly by holding up a flower, you know, just this flower, you know, look, just this person, just this moment of awakening. So being a Buddha, being awake means being unattached to your ideas about who you are, whether you think you are rotten or you think you're absolutely great. Not grasping those thoughts is Buddha. And ironically, being a person who has such thoughts is a prerequisite for being Buddha, for awakening. So step number one, this very mind is Buddha. Step number two, no mind, no Buddha. So in either case, imagining that you can run away from who you really are is simply a delusion. And what kind of delusion? It's the delusion of running away. Seeing that is an insight. It's called returning to Buddha, you know, taking refuge in Buddha. To return to who we really are, including all of our delusions, is to take refuge in Buddha, in the truth of reality, the truth of our human life, not one and not two. And that's true. Sentient beings and Buddhas are not separate. In his book, Being Upright, Tenshin Rim Anderson says this about taking refuge in Buddha. Trusting that you are Buddha does not mean that you identify with being Buddha. It's not something special about you that makes you Buddha. It's simply you being you that is Buddha. And it's not that you're so virtuous that you're Buddha, but that you being you is virtue. To take refuge in Buddha means to give up running away from home. It means to recognize our responsibility to live in accord with our Buddhahood. In other words, to assume you are Buddha and now to act like it. The second of the triple treasures is taking refuge in the Dharma, what the Buddha taught. And here's what he said to Ananda at the very time of his death. It's from the Pali Canon. Ananda, you may think the word of the teacher is a thing of the past. Now you have no more teacher. But you should not regard it so. The Dharma and the discipline taught by me are your teacher after I'm gone. The law I have taught has no secret version. There is no teacher's closed fist about the good things here. Now I am old, Ananda. My years have turned 80. Just as an old cart is made to carry on with the help of makeshifts, so too, it seems to me, the Blessed One's body is made to carry on with the help of makeshifts. So, Ananda, each of you should make of yourself an island with no other refuge. Each of you should make the law their island and no other refuge. Either now or when I'm gone, it is those, whoever they may be, 
who make themselves and the law their islands and no other refuge, who will be the foremost among my disciples of those that is who want to train. How could it be Ananda that what is born come into being, formed and bound to fall should not fall? That is not possible. Then the blessed one addressed the bhikshus thus, indeed bhikshus, I declare this to you. It is in the nature of all formations to dissolve. Attain perfection through diligence. This was the perfect one's last utterance. So part of our understanding of these teachings is that the Buddha was not a, the person, but the teaching itself, which has continued right up into this day. And in this way, I think we're quite fortunate not to bear the problems of deification, although we do get carried away sometimes especially here at Green Gods with all the bells and whistles. So I think if we continue to appreciate that these statues and offerings that we're making in our homes and in our temples are truly gestures of gratitude being made by those of us alive today, you know, the living Buddhists. You know, without that, there can't be any ancestors if we don't remember and honor them. And there can't be the teaching of the Buddha unless, you know, we like the honey ants carry it within our own bodies. I don't know if you know about honey ants, but they're really amazing, which is why I think of them as a good metaphor for the work that we're also doing together in our temples. Honey ants have these abdomens that fill up with honey, and then they hang, the ants hang from the ceilings of their nests, serving as storage units for the benefit of their communities. And for the same reason, the students of the Buddhist teaching have been called the vessels of the Dharma, honey ants of the Dharma. And so what's the Dharma? Well, that's a good question with either a very long or a very short answer. In the Prajnaparamita literature, which is the basis for our Zen tradition, Prajnaparamita means wisdom beyond wisdom. There are two versions that have been written, extreme examples. One version is 100,000 lines. It's a very large text. And on the other end is the letter A. So basically the Dharma is the truth. And it's really up to each of us to find the truth and to live within the circle of what our eye of practice can see. And as for the Sangha, it is this very wide and wonderful community of friends who have been gathering you know, world round to listen to the teachings of the gentle Buddhas and those teachings being the greatest gift to us all. So thank you for your kind attention this morning and I hope you have a lovely day. And please take care of yourselves and stay safe. <clears throat> Thank you, Fu. You're welcome, Kevin. <clears throat> Fu, did you want to take some time to uh, take some questions? Or? Sure. sure. If okay. anyone has um, a question, I'm happy to probably spend a few minutes i don't know kevin what the outer limits are but i have a few minutes to yeah great um so we'll take questions in chat if you want to put some questions in there and we'll, um uh, i'll i'll read them off to you Fu. thank you you can take as many as you want so Echo down the canyon. <laughs>
Hi, Patricia. Yeah, we'll, um, we will be putting the video recording on YouTube and um, we'll be looking into seeing if we can get a transcript available. Oh. So Patricia also said that uh, uh, this was an amazing talk. Oh, thank you, Patricia. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, Michelle has a question. She says, hmm. uh, when we take the Buddha vows, do we need to be in the presence of someone appointed to be a witness? Yeah, it's called warm hand to warm hand in our tradition, the way we, we practice those celebrations, really. And so usually you have a preceptor, someone who has received transmission or Dharma transmission, we call it, meaning they have permission from their teacher to offer precepts. So that's really the only thing you're granted by receiving Dharma transmission is this authority to give others the precepts. So that's... Um, a wonderful relationship that you have very intimate with someone you talk to as a mentor, as a teacher. And then at some point when you finish sewing your robes, we sew, we sew our own robes. I'm wearing one of them right now it's called a rock suit. It's a miniature of the larger robes that I think you've all seen that the monks wear. I have one of those too. Um, we wear during meditation. So we sew our robes. It's one of the traditions that we continue to practice at the Zen center. Uh, it takes a while, which is good. And with each stitch, you say, Namo Kyebutsu. I take refuge in Buddha. Namo Kyebutsu. Namo Kyebutsu. Yeah. Thousands of stitches. It's, it's fantastic practice. It's very, if you like to meditate, it's a great way to meditate with this cloth and thread and usually sitting with other friends in silence. So once you've finished your robes, then we schedule a ceremony. And often there's more than one person. Usually there's a, quite a few. And um, it's, it's a very beautiful ceremony. Families come, friends come, community comes. And then we have a, a party after cookies and tea. That's our, that's our favorite party. So yes, it's, it's quite an a, it's quite a intimate part of our community life is receiving the precepts. So thank you for that question. Do you want to take one more, Fu? Or? Sure. Okay. Uh, Chris asks, can you give your interpretation of be an island unto yourself? Yeah. Well, you know, what comes to mind, I mean, thank you for that question. Right away, what comes to mind is a familiar teaching for me is like when the Buddha said, um, I and all beings together enlightened at the same time. So the island unto yourself would be yourself as the entirety of existence, that you're, you're just a representative of all of it, right? All of us are representatives of the whole thing. We are the universe in this form. So an island unto itself is kind of like the universe. It's a pretty big island. And then all of us are, you know, kind of, uh, we're, we're all, I, I came up with this image the other day of after meditation, you, you walk outside and it feels like this womb of light. You've just walked into the womb of light. And I think as, as little babies, we're born, you know, from our mother's belly, the dark, into this womb of light, you know, this uh, being alive in this world of, of light and color and amazement sound. So, you know, we're, we're kind of womb mates. That's what we all are. We're womb mates. And that's, for me, is the island. It's the great island. Jambu Vipa, called in Sanskrit, the center of the universe where we live. So that's, that's the island. 
Okay, well, thank you everyone for coming. Uh, thank you for joining us, Fu, and being flexible with our uh, the kind of the technical challenges we had today. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for all your effort, and I'll see you tomorrow morning. Yes, thank you, everybody. See you tomorrow. Bye.